All right, you may be seated. Just a testimony of praise of how good our God is. You guys know we've been reading through books of the Bible. And so we finished up the book of Proverbs today. And God in his kindness, it was Proverbs 31 about womanhood and motherhood. <laughs> That's our God, amen? Pretty awesome. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And let's pray together. Father, we are humbled by your goodness. Just that even you would have us reading your word, the passage that we read this morning on this Mother's Day. We just thank you, God, for your kind providences in our lives. And Father, today as we talk about loving others and the importance of that when it comes to missions, God, I know that this is a message my heart needs to hear. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ that God, prepare our hearts for the truth of your word. And then, Father, for any that are still lost in sin, we pray that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would bring dead hearts to life today. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Help me to preach your word faithfully today. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. As you guys know, we are continuing on in our May month of missions. We'll be looking at John 13 today. And last week, Pastor Tom got us started with what it looks like to love God and to love his word. We know that missions starts with God because our God is a missionary God. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And if that wasn't true, we couldn't love one another. So when we think about loving God and we think about loving others, everything that Tom preached on, everything that I will preach on today, apart from God, apart from the work of Christ, apart from the person of Christ, apart from God's grace, his mercy, his love, and his kindness, and his truth, none of it, hear me say that, none of it is possible. We can only love because God first loved us. And God getting a hold of our hearts, giving us a new heart, changing us from the inside out, that we would have a desire to love him and to love others. You know, sometimes when we think about missions, we focus on how hard it would be to die uh, for our faith. I've never been put in that position, and I'm sure for those uh, that have faced those kind of situations, whether in the past or currently, that would be very, very difficult. But being a Christian martyr. But as I was preparing this week, you know what's really even harder than that? Is the daily dying to self. Because when you think about it, to be a Christian martyr to die for your faith, but physically dying, that only happens one time, right? And then what's the good news in that as a believer? 
you get to go be with Jesus. But when you're having to die to yourself every single day, we're talking about thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times daily. We're having to go before the Lord and ask for help to love him and to love others. The late missionary Sundar Singh to India, he said this, it is easy to die for Christ. It is hard to live for him. Dying takes only an hour or two, but to live for Christ means to die daily. Only during the few years of this life are we given the privilege of serving each other in Christ. I want you to think about that. Only the few years of this life are we given the privilege of serving Christ and serving others. We shall have heaven forever, but only a short time for service here. And therefore, we must not waste the opportunity. Pastor Jim, that's why we would have May Month of Missions. For the glory of God, for the furtherance of the gospel, for the building of God's kingdom, until everyone is heard, we don't want to waste any opportunities here and around the world. You know, I thought about the story from Paul Washer I heard many years back. I've shared this before, but I think it fits pretty well. You know, husband and wife, and we're talking with one another, and the husband was talking about how much he loved his wife. He said, I would climb the highest mountain for you. I would swim across the deepest sea for you. Because he loved her so much. And so then she asked him, well, will you go wash the dishes for me? He was like, no, I don't do that. And so sometimes when we think about this loving others, we, we think again about this big event or something out there. But really, loving others is just all of the simple, mundane moments of life every single day for the glory of God, loving God, and loving others. Your Pastor Jim, I know the theme for this is supposed to be freedom in Christ. True freedom in Christ comes, it really comes, guys, from loving God. And loving others. When you, by God's grace, begin to love God and love others, that's when you're free. That's when you really experience what it means to be free in Christ. So today, we want to look at the person of Christ. We want to look at the work of Christ. We want to see how our Savior, Jesus Christ, has modeled that for us. So let's look at John 13, verses 1 through 17. We'll read through it. And then we'll begin to unpack it together. So the title here is Jesus Washes the Disciples' Feet. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, towel tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So let's go back to verse 1. And let's set the stage. Let's look at the background. It says, before the feast of the Passover. And we know the Passover was the celebration, the Jews remembering that each year of God delivering them from slavery underneath uh, the tyranny of the Egyptians. God had set them free. Uh, God killed the, the firstborn of the Egyptians, but the Jews were spared because the blood was put on the doorpost and the death angel passed over the homes of the Jews. God was rescuing. God was delivering his people. And so every year, the Jews would gather to remember this of God's faithfulness to them. So now before this was going to happen, it says Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. As you see, this is Thursday night. What's going to happen on Friday? It's going to be the crucifixion of Christ. Christ knew that his hour had come. The fulfillment of the plan of redemption before the foundation of the world. Christ dying on the cross for the sins of his people, saving us rescuing us, redeeming us. His hour had come. He was going to be buried. He was going to resurrect. He was going to ascend, and he was going back to the Father to be at the right hand of the Father. And then look at what it says there at the end of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, God loves his people with a perfect love, a sacrificial love, an eternal love, a never-ending love. When it says he loved them to the end, it means he loved them perfectly. He loved them completely. He loved them to the fullest. Jesus loved these disciples, and he was loving them to the end. And by the way, if you're in the faith today, God will see you through. He will love you to the very end. And if you're not in the faith today, today's the day of salvation for you to experience this amazing love, this unconditional love, this forgiving love of Christ. 
You know, there's a hymn that I was looking at. It says, he loved us with an everlasting love, a love which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. Now look at verse 2. It says, during the supper, so they're having this last supper. This is towards the end of the supper. So you could go to other gospels where they had broken the bread, the juice representing the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, uh, the Lord's Supper, communion. And so towards the end of the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So I want you to think about that. We just read about the love of God, the perfect love of God, the love of Christ for his disciples. And now we read about hatred, evil. Judas Iscariot, who has spent three years with Jesus, he hated Christ. He had never embraced the love of Christ. And now he's going to do this dark work, this work of evil, of the betrayal of Christ that will happen later on that night. Now in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. By the way, Jesus has all authority. He's the sovereign ruler. God had given all things into his hands. Jesus was completing the work that the Father had given him to do. And he says, I had come from God. He had been sent by God. And he's going back to God. And praise the Lord, hallelujah, he's coming back one day for his people. And we will be with God forever. So now you come to verse 4. He rose from supper. So as they're finishing this meal, he rises up. He lays aside his outer garments, so his robe. He takes a towel and he ties it around his waist. Then he pours water into a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Guys, please don't miss the significance of this. This is the creator. This is the ruler of the universe. And he's taking the form of a servant. He's putting a towel around his waist. You see the context of this, whenever you entered someone's house there in the first century, as they would travel from town to town, what would get dirty? Their feet. They didn't have tennis shoes. They either went barefoot or they wore sandals. And so when they didn't have typically paved roads either, we're talking dirt. And so as you traveled from one place to the other, guess what? Your feet would get stinky. They would get nasty. Whose job was it to wash the feet of people? Well, it was given to the lowliest of slaves of that particular home, whoever that was. That was their job. And it was such a low job, no Jew would do it. Only Gentile slaves. And they'd have to wash the feet of anyone who came into that house. But now in the context of our passage, you see Jesus and the disciples had traveled from Bethany, from Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, and they had come to this home, the upper room. 
but they had done this in secret. And so there wouldn't have been a slave or a servant at this house to wash the feet as they came in. So any of these disciples, any of these disciples could have taken the role of a servant and washed each other's feet. But you know what they were doing? You don't have to turn there. But in Luke 22, you know what they were doing instead? They were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who was going to get to sit at the right hand of Jesus? Who was going to get to sit at his left hand? And so they had come in, they had partaken of this meal. And by the way, when they would eat, they would recline. So when the Bible says they recline, they didn't like sit at a kitchen table like we have. They were reclining around these tables. And so to have stinky feet, possibly in somebody's face, I mean, we're talking about a really big deal. But none of them would humble themselves to the point, maybe they would have washed the feet of Jesus, but they surely were not going to go around and wash the feet of the other disciples. As you see, just like our hearts this morning, they were filled with pride. They were filled with arrogance. They were filled with selfishness. And they were not going to stoop that low. And so now we have Jesus doing the unthinkable, the master, the Lord, the ruler of the universe, takes the towel and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. Now, just in my own heart, I had to wonder how ashamed they would have felt as Jesus washed their feet. You know, some discipline lessons speak louder than words. And what Jesus was doing here, he was rebuking them through his actions of their selfishness. He gave them an unforgettable lesson in humility that they would remember for the rest of their days. So I thought about that in my own life and think about it in your life. The next time that we're gonna make sure that we win an argument over somebody, they're gonna know that I'm right and they're wrong I want you to think about Jesus simply washed their feet. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. You know, we live in a world today where everyone's going to fight and riot and argue over equal rights. You're going to give me my rights. Jesus simply gave up his rights, humbled himself, and he washed the feet of the disciples. If you're going to really love somebody this morning, you're going to have to die to yourself. That's what Jesus was doing here. It was a great act of humility. You know, that Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8, you don't have to turn there. I know Pastor Doug already read it. The part that really gripped my heart this week, I mean, he takes on the form of a servant, but it says he emptied himself emptied himself. Jesus lowered himself. He condescended 
the God of heaven steps out of the glory of heaven, takes the form of a servant, takes on flesh, lives among us, and in this instance, washes the feet of his disciples. He was modeling for them what it really meant to love one another. F.F. F. Bruce, commentator, he said this, nearest the throne of God is the footstool of humility. Let me read that again. Nearest the throne of God is the footstool of humility. If you want to be close to the throne of God, it's the footstool of humility. Now look at verse 6. So let me flip back here in my Bible. Got a little gust of wind there. Let's move on in the passage. It says, he came to Simon Peter. So again, I'm sure they were embarrassed. I'm sure they were ashamed. And so Simon, as always, he's the one that's willing to verbalize what's going on in the situation. The other disciples may have been thinking it. Peter's the one, he's going to say it. Lord, do you wash my feet? I'm sure Peter's thinking, I am a sinful man and you're going to wash my feet? It's just the, the rashness of Peter here. So then in verse 7, Jesus answers, Well, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. You see, it wasn't just Peter. The disciples, they still didn't get it. Jesus had told them over and over and over he was coming as the suffering servant, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Jesus was going to have to die on the cross to pay the penalty for the sin of his people. He was condescending himself. He was lowering himself. This was about humility. And they just didn't understand at that point in time. They really thought Jesus was going to rule and reign his kingdom right then and there. That's why they were arguing over, hey, am I going to be on the right hand or am I going to be on the left hand? They just, I mean, this is like the night before and they still don't get it. But later, by God's grace, you know what happened? They got it. Jesus dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. He ascends back to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And these disciples, when they get it, they take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if you don't think they got it, read 1 Peter. Peter finally got it. I mean, when you read 1 Peter, you'll know. He got it. He finally understood who Jesus was, what it meant to follow Christ, the work of redemption. Think about John, the apostle John. He finally got it. Read 1 John. And he, he talks about love, 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 love. And don't think that both of those brothers would not have thought back to John chapter 13 when Jesus washed their feet. They got it. Do you get it this morning? Do we really get it? What it means to humble ourselves and to love others. Mark 10, 45. You don't have to turn there, but Jesus said, I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's why he came. Christianity is not about position. 
It's not about fame. It's not about fortune. It is about serving. It's about loving, loving God and loving others. But look at verse eight. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Again, here is Peter telling Jesus what he will or will not do. Application, do not do that. Okay, we don't tell Jesus what he will or will not do. But Peter, in his rashness, it just, it comes out. Look how Jesus responds. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You don't have any part with me. You don't have any fellowship with me. Because you see, guys, this is bigger than just foot washing. You know, like what uh, MacArthur, I was listening to him. He talked about, yes, we definitely want to wash our feet still today, right? I mean, keep washing your feet. It's a good thing to do. So kids, make sure your baths, all that good stuff, wash your feet. Okay, but this, this passage is not about this ordinance of foot washing. That's not the point. There's something bigger here that he's teaching the disciples. You see, they have been chosen by God through his grace and the washing that we all need is ultimately, it's the blood of Christ. We have to be forgiven. We have to be washed. We have to be regenerated. We have to be given a new heart by God's grace. We have to be justified, declared, right, declared righteous before a holy God. Because if not, you don't have any share with Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have eternal life. If you don't have Christ, you don't have forgiveness. Nobody is going to heaven based off of their goodness because our goodness is like filthy rags before a holy God. I thought of another application, just in my own heart. Think about Peter here telling Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. Guys, and I've had to learn this lesson and I'm still learning it. We need to get over ourselves and let other people serve you. You realize it's sinful and prideful when we won't allow other people to service? I mean, Peter here is denying the service of Jesus. But when God places it on the heart of a brother or sister to help you, to minister to you, to love you, and you're like, no, sorry. I just want you to think about that. Think about that. Verse nine, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, I, I love this response of Peter. It really does show his genuineness. He's like, look, Christ, I want you. Israel, it's like John 6 where he said, where else are we going to go? Only you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. So this is probably going through the mind of Peter. He's like, look, okay, wash all of me because I need you, Christ. 
But look at the response there in verses 10 and 11. Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. I want you to look at that part where it says, and you are clean. Think about how it would be for Jesus to tell you, Peter, you're good. You're mine. You're in the faith. And I love you. And I have bought you with my blood. You are clean. His salvation was secure in Christ. That's good news. I mean, for Jesus to take the time to tell Peter, to tell these other disciples, you are clean. You are mine, except for one. See, this is evidence right here. Judas, he's not a believer. He's not in the faith. He was unclean. He hadn't embraced Christ. His sin had not been forgiven. The blood of Christ that was going to be shed within 24 hours wasn't going to cover his sin because he rejected the Messiah. He wasn't one of his. He never repented. He never trusted in Christ. Now, you may ask, well, then, what, what's up with the, the foot washing? Well, I've already told you, physically speaking, it's good to wash your feet. And in the context of when you're going from town to town or place to place, and you're going to be entering into people's houses in their time wearing sandals or barefoot, they needed to wash one another's feet. Okay? But there's something bigger here when you think about spiritually speaking. We know we've been washed by Christ. We're completely forgiven of our sin through the work of Christ. But this daily sanctification needs to continue happening in our life. Because are we still all sinners that struggle with sin every single day? Even as believers, yes. And we constantly need to be sanctified. We constantly need to be cleansed. We constantly need our feet to be washed by the word of God, by Christ. As we walk out our faith, we get dirty because we're sinful. 1 John 1, 9, by the way, was written to believers as they continue to struggle with sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We constantly are confessing. We're constantly repenting. We're constantly trusting in Christ. When we think about our walk with him. Now, Jesus had showed them the gospel through his actions and now he's going to teach them even further of the significance. Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he says to them, do you understand what I've done to you? He's basically saying, I want you to really, really, really think about what just happened. Do you understand? Verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. They were right. Jesus is the teacher. He was the rabbi, the great teacher. And he is Lord. He's master. They were right about that. Verse 14. If 
I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also, you also should do just as I have done to you. So think about that. Jesus, the sovereign leader, the master, has washed their feet. The main truth from this passage really is Jesus teaching them the importance of humble, loving service. In your life, always remember this, guys. Always put people over task, over position. Always put people over task and over position. You see, Jesus was modeling for them what it looked like to humbly serve, to be a servant. So here's a question. Everybody look around at one another. Here's a prayer you can pray every single day. Lord, how would you have me to serve and love my brothers and sisters in Christ here at EBC? Every single day we should be praying that. Lord, how do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Because if we'll start doing that, or if we continue to do that, I should say, missions will happen. God will be glorified. The gospel will go forth. People will be loved. Because at the end of the day, if I can't love my brother Israel, who's right here in front of me, how could I go to an international mission field and love somebody? If I can't love my wife Mandy or love my kids, how am I going to go to an international mission field and love somebody? The mission field starts where? Right in your home. Right in our church. Right in our community. And yes, it does go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you guys know that. The Bible's super clear about that. But it starts right where God has planted us. Miss Sandy, it starts right there at the hospital. Every day, you're just being faithful. Loving God and loving others. So wherever God has placed you and planted you, that's your mission field to serve, to be humble, to do the little things that nobody else wants to do, but you'll do them for the glory of God. That's what Christ did. Look at John 13, 34 and 35, a little bit further down in the passage. John 13. Check out what Jesus goes on to say. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are, are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How will a lost and dying world know that we are disciples? When we love one another. Because you see, if we're fighting, complaining, whining, well, so-and-so has this position, and I wanted to do this, but they got to do that, and I didn't get to do that, if that's what it becomes the backbiting and stuff like that? Are we then loving one another? And the lost and dying world sees that. So by God's grace, love one another. Now I want to give a shout out to my mom, one of the greatest missionaries in my life. And many of you can probably relate to this. You're my mom, and I think she's listening right now. 
She's the one who changed all my dirty diapers. And this was back in the day when they were cloth diapers. Jimbo, I don't even want to think about that. What she had to go through. <laughs> I've heard the stories. I was a bedwetter too. So she got to change hundreds of sheets for me as a little kid. And I don't ever remember my mom complaining about that. The thousands upon thousands upon thousands of meals that she prepared. The dishes she washed. You know, we didn't have a dishwasher. We had mom. And even to this day, my kids will tell you, she washes the dishes and she doesn't complain. And most importantly, you know what my mom did? She taught me the importance of the local church and the importance of following Jesus. I got to grow up in the church because by God's grace, my parents loved the Lord and they modeled that for me. I share that with you for all the moms out here, all the grandmas, all the things that you do that you feel like, does it even matter? This is for everybody. Every little act of service that's done for the glory of God, it matters. It matters. By God's grace, I'm standing before you today and my mom had a big part in that, that she lived out faithfully. Let's wrap this thing up. Verses 16 and 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I mean, Jesus is the master. We're the servants. We're surely not greater than the master, but yet the master has shown us that in his kingdom, it's great to serve. That's what we should do. And look at what he says in verse 17. If you know these things, which by the way, we do know these things if you're in Christ. Okay, we know love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know Matthew 22. But look at what it says. Blessed are you if you what? Do them. That's where the rubber meets the road, as they say. That's the hard part. The easy part was listening to me preach today. The hard part is by God's grace, through faith in Christ, through the spirit of living it out. Loving God and loving others. It says, blessed, happy is he, content, satisfied is he who follows the commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Wiersbe put it this way. If our desire is to know and to do the Father's will so that we might glorify his name, then we will experience the joy of following Christ's example and serving others. Our prayer should always be, Lord, how can I glorify you today by loving others, by serving them? I want to leave you with just a couple of brief stories. I shared with you last time about Rachel Scott, the one young lady that was a martyr there at Columbine in 1999. There was another uh, lady there, a young lady, Cassie Bernal, that also, she said she believed and she was martyred for her faith in Christ. But what you may not know is the backstory of this young lady's life. You know, she was 17 when she died, but when she was 14 and 15, she was in a bad, bad place. I mean, I'm talking dark. She hated her parents. 
She hated life. It got to the point where they had to take her out of the public school she was in and put her in a Christian school just for her own well-being. And it was a battle. So I'm reading this book and just the rebellion, the hatred. I mean, she hated God. But you know what happened? When we talk about serving others and we think about, oh, I got to do this great thing to save the world. You know what happened? This is the part of the story that gripped my heart. At that Christian school, most of the students would have nothing to do with her because she was mean and she was hateful. They didn't want to have any, any part of her life. But there was one young lady. Her name was Jamie. I'd never heard of this girl. And you probably hadn't heard of her either unless you've read the book. Jamie took the time to actually befriend Cassie. And it wasn't easy to begin with because Cassie did not want a friend. But she continued to pray for her. She continued to serve her. And she continued to pour into her life. She even wrote a letter to her parents. Please let Cassie come with me to this youth, youth retreat. And so Cassie's parents let her go because, I mean, they're grasping at straws at this point of, what do we do? She goes to this youth retreat and just God and his kindness and his providence as they begin to sing about the Lord, God convicted her. He gripped her heart and she began to confess. She began to repent and God saved her at this retreat. She got home a couple days later and she told her parents, I have changed. And for two years, she was a different young lady. She had been changed by the gospel. But you see, God in his design, it took a, a young lady, a girl, Jamie, to invest in her life. She was loving others, right? And so when Cassie, her life was ended two years later, she was in the faith because somebody had invested in her life. Now, the last thing I want to share with you, a little bit closer to home, this was written, Pastor Appreciation, 2019, October 27th, by a dear sister in the Lord. So she's writing about Everglades, her church family. Here's what she said. We want to be known for the Christ-centered church that we are, the church that ministers to their town, the church that cares about your salvation, your health, and your welfare, the church that practices what they preach. When we sign our covenant, we pledge to serve and to be obedient. We will contend for the faith. We will put our personal preferences and desires aside. We will help where we are needed, maybe not where we want, but where we are needed. It takes all of us from the nose right down to our little toe. We want to be about sharing the gospel and glorifying God's name. You know who wrote that? Miss Yvonne. Two years ago pretty awesome that's what we want to be about amen loving God and loving others so when we think about the May month of missions it really is that simple being a servant to your family to your church to your community and ultimately to the world let's all stand and we'll close in prayer Jesus, we thank you that you modeled for us just servant leadership. You chose to step out of the glory of heaven, to take on flesh, to dwell among us, 
to die a cruel death, to rescue your people from their sin. We could never praise you and thank you enough. Father, we understand this morning, it's not our good works that make us right with you in any way, shape, or form. It's the work of Christ. It's the person of Christ. But God, in your design and your grace, when you save us, we're you, we are your workmanship, created, saved in Christ Jesus for good works. So God, would you help us as a church family to continue to be about loving you and loving others. Even today, whatever that may look like, God, may we be sensitive to how you're working, how you want us to be faithful. And then Father, for any that are still apart from Christ, dead in sin, as they've heard about the love and the truth of Jesus, I pray today that they would submit their hearts and they would receive Christ you as their Lord and Savior. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's all remain standing and we will worship the Lord through song. Again, um, we'll be singing by faith together.